Season 0405 already had a bit of a hangover feel to it. I mean, we'd lost the king. 
Larson had gone and um, I actually went to see Celtic play in America that summer and um, there was all sorts of talk about who would replace him and what kind of calibre of player but the reality was there was never a hope in hell I mean there was the initial loan signing of Henri Camara um, which didn't work and of course there was the signing of Jorinho um, which didn't work um, and it just felt as though fans had realised that perhaps we were coming to the end of an era there had been a an early um, sign that we might still be okay when we'd beat the Huns 1-0 at Celtic Park with Alan Thompson screamer I remember I had brought um, four guys up from Liverpool um, for the game and um, you know it was, it was a pretty timid kind of game really and, uh, you know we were, at this point it was a seventh uh, victory in a row against them and they were up near uh, where the Huns were in the upper Lisbon line stand I was in my seat in the north in the main stand the big one and um you know, I remember coming out thinking, well, we've, we've got a victory anyway, blah, blah, blah. And they came out and their faces were just like, holy shit. Um, what on earth is that? <laughs> and they were just all like saying, you know, these are like Liverpool uh, fans. Never seen hatred like it, you know. So sometimes it needs an outsider to come in and, and tell you about it. But there just felt like there was chinks in the armour eh, the team that had absolutely wiped the floor with most things in Scottish football the previous season and you know, Europe was probably the biggest indicator of that um, you know, we had got into a group with AC Milan and Barcelona as usual and uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and it was a kind of topsy-turvy group. Um, the game in Milan was really strange because, for me anyway, because I ended up in tow with a company that included Patty Hearst's daughter, who was a model, an absolute stunner, has to be said, and, then, and she ended up coming to the game with us, uh, you know, to that kind of Barnier Stadium, uh, the San Siro, you know, one of you... You think about these stadiums and all that, oh my God, the Sam Zero and the new camp, and, bit, and you, th you know, then you go and you're crying, Christ, oh my, these are dumps, <laughs> you know. Um, but we had uh, pulled it back to one all through a Stan Varga header and thought, Christ, we're actually going to get a point here. And then, of course, we lost two late goals. And the next day, I actually flew to London to meet mates, uh, the same mates who were at the the early season hun game and one of them at the time worked for the BBC and so I met a guy who'd been up and then we uh, in a pub and then we went to the BBC to meet them and we kind of went in and we were like we're here to see so so I'll not reveal his name because he is quite well known um, and they were like I any problem you know just wait there and then this guy come out and issued us with a couple of passes and see right eyes up and such and such, you know. And we started walking, like, along these corridors of the BBC, like, you know, completely um, unsupervised. 
And I distinctly remember just looking to my right and there was the BBC News at six o'clock at night or half six or whatever being aired live, being done live as we were walking past. And we could have easily, easily just stumbled right onto the set and just kind of went, you know, oh, it's all right, we're so-and-so's mate, Ken. Um, but it shows that uh, how things seem because I remember... We went to the BBC bar, subsidised by the way, the bar places, and um, there was a guy who joined us who was an Everton fan, and this show, this is 2004, was basically saying, you know, um, the only way Liverpool and Everton will be able to compete in the future is as if they merge, which went doing like a, a you know, a turd in your gin and tonic, you know, <laughs> amongst the guys. Um, but, you know, it was kind of, you felt like this was coming a bit par for the course now we um, got into these and of course we got a draw in Barcelona I was there and then we got absolutely mauled in Donetsk One, uh, we played a diamond formation and we crossed something at the top here and then he got injured and it just fell apart, but they were a great side they still strike fury when shattered at Donetsk they were so good and um as I knew, as we knew then, as we sorry, as we didn't know then, but we know now, what happened after that game was Martin O'Neill basically got a private jet back with Dermot Desmond, who was floating about. Chris Kajawa mentioned I was in that pub and all. I never spoke to Desmond or that, but I remember him coming in. There wasn't a huge set of support there because of the way you had to travel, you had to get a train, do it to Kiev and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so. He'd basically requested a meeting with Dermot Desmond. He said, well, you jump on the plane. So they flew back private. And at that time, I remember writing a blog about this, Dermot basically killed the goose. He said there weren't going to be any of the big signings and um, big money laid out. They had to cut back and that. And I think Martin, who was fully aware of his wife's health issues at the time, thankfully cleared up that... Um, thought, aye, this is it, and he apparently had mentioned to somebody at the club after it um, to get ready for life in the slow lane, um, and it wasn't quite that, but there was definitely the glamour and the glitz that likes of Henrik Larson brought was was definitely coming to an end, and you actually noticed, I certainly noticed by about the November, December of that season, the crowds were starting to dip a bit, you know, I can distinctly remember, you know, a game in December, it wasn't that great, it might have been against Livingston or somebody like that, and there was at least 10,000 spaces, and it wasn't a great game, and people were saying, ah, it's the last Saturday before Christmas or whatever, you know, the Christmas shoppers, and I thought, ah, they wouldn't be going shopping if, if Henrik was still here, you know. But that was kind of the feel and, you know, um, we also um, had went through a couple of things where, you know, the, the kind of seething hatred of Celtic came to the fore. Um, we'd gone to a game, I'd went to it with Jamie O'Neill, the game he talks about where he went on the tube uh, later on in the, in the uh, episode. And um, we'd lost at Ibrox. We should have won in a League Cup game. Joe Hartson put us ahead and we, they pulled it back. But then a couple of weeks later, we went to Ibrox and there was just this... There was something swirling about that day. 
I'd gone a public transport, um, which is never great going to Ibrox. I'm not review the way I normally do it, but you could feel it in the air. It was tension in the air. There was a lot. I remember the Huns were all wearing these scarves, Champions League my ass, because we'd not been that great in it and stuff. You know, mental stuff. But the fucking hatred in the ground that day for some reason, and I don't know why. Can't remember why. Um, was even more than most, apart from probably the two all game in '87. And it was primarily directed at Neil Lennon. And we got beat 2 all that day, but at the end of the day, Martin O'Neill came on and basically hit, hoisted up Neil Lennon's arm and it became an iconic photo. Um, and you, you you always get your fucking naysayers who go, oh, you just try to deflect for getting beaten and all that kind of thing. People of a Celtic persuasion, who have Celtic pumping through their veins, appreciate things like that. Because they also understand that we are not liked by a lot of people in this country, to put it mildly. And therefore, when someone in a leadership capacity like Martin O'Neill stands up against that, well, that really matters to you. Hi, Paul. Yeah, you've chosen a right cheery one this week. Um, Black Sunday. Easily the worst, probably the worst day of my Celtic supporting life, um, and certainly up the worst days of my life uh, entirely. Um, I was in Edinburgh at the time, and uh, I met a few mates, and we went to the Festival Tavern to watch the game, um, which is, I think it changed to the Big Lebowski's, I think it's back to whatever it's called now, I think it's the Festival Tavern again. Um, but anyway, um, I remember obviously nervous before the game, um, and then I, I remember seeing a back page saying that Martin O'Neill was probably going to be leaving. So I think we'd heard rumours and stuff, but um, it was kind of like, yeah, I guess it's happening now. Um, so yeah, watching the game, going well, half time, 1 0. Chris Sutton, I think, scored. Um, and yeah, we just. Obviously, just want to see it through the second half. Um, but we never really got that second goal. Remember, there was a chance with Craig Bellamy through one-on-one against Gordon Marshall, um, who obviously is trying his heart out. If he bloody well tried his heart out when he played for Celtic, he might have done a lot better with the fans. Um, yeah, just to remember, obviously, the, the, the equaliser going in. Um and then thinking, right, we'll need to get them and score away again. And then, obviously, they get the second, and then that's, that's that. So, um, pretty much, <laughs> we're all kind of standing about in disbelief what's, what's going on here. Um, and, unfortunately, at the time, I, I stayed round the corner uh, from, from Easter Road. So, I had to make my way back there, just as... Um, the Huns were coming out, obviously, in jubilant mood. Managed to avoid quite a few of them, uh, thankfully. But um, I remember going to my flat and just three of them were there. They were probably um, a wee bit younger than me, whatever. Um, obviously, in jubilant mood. Um, and one of them turned right. I remember one of them turned right to the other one and said, Oh, I didn't realise Mother was scored the second. And I was like, 
Right, so I think, uh, yeah, that, just on that Hibs-Rangers game, um, Tony Mowbray was the manager, and I think, <laughs> looking back, we, we should definitely not have got him as manager after his uh, performance in that game. Didn't really show he was a Celtic man then, did he? Um, so, yeah, went back to the flat, <laughs> closed the curtains, uh, drew the blinds and uh, just went to my bed. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll maybe just watch a DVD just to to uh, make some time go past. So, um, oh, I'll put this one on. What's this one? Oh, it's Jim Carrey, so it should be good. It should be funny. Um, except it was Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind, uh, which I don't know if you've ever watched it, but, yeah, I'd say it's probably the worst film I could have watched. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a miracle I'm actually still here after watching that, and uh, and obviously the Celtic result just before. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think <laughs> the funny the funny thing is, the uh, girlfriend at the time she was all concerned about me. I was I was just inconsolable, um, but she was like, uh, "What do you want? Do you want? Would you want to get for dinner?" And, uh, so she she went and got me a Chinese and they basically handed it over at the door. <laughs> and I was like, right, see you later, thanks. <laughs> I just couldn't just couldn't bear being uh, in anybody's company. So um, yeah, just easily the worst day ever. <laughs> uh, but we're here, we're still here, and um, as you say, Paul, all the time we still won. Absolutely no chance in off the crossbar. Ball just moves right to left. No chance there for Kloss. The 2004-2005 season for Celtic. Very rarely breached really by any Celtic fan um, due to obviously the ending of that season. Uh, but sometimes it's good to, to talk uh, get the trauma out of the system. Um, aye, it started, well, obviously the previous season, won the title, the Scottish Cup, um, and Larson had left, that was the that was the biggie. Um, but really, uh, my memories, where are my memories failing me, or I've just tried to eliminate this from my psyche uh, this season, um, of 2004-2005, uh, I can't remember even too many of the signings pre-season. Obviously, Janino, um I was quite excited about that signing. Cracking player, obviously Middlesbrough and um, Brazil, and he, he just felt as if he, like he would excite the fans. Um, but that season, I wasn't even at too many games that season. I was back playing amateur football. 
Um, so the games, I actually I can only remember, again, maybe try to eliminate it from memory, but I can only remember being at a couple of Rangers games, the Celtic Rangers games that season. Um, to say, due to playing football, and I was working a lot of weekends as well. Um, but I, as I say, started started well. Obviously, the, the first Celtic Rangers game, Thompson Screamer in the last minute, uh, like just this one day left peg, just gelt one and just like total by close and under at the underside of the bar. Uh, so I, it was going, it was all going to plan. I think. Um, so I see, I can't remember too much about like month to month that season compared to others, uh, i.e. the centenary years, etc. But uh, I, I just remember being at the. The League Cup tie, the quarter final, we drew them at Ibrooks, and uh, I remember I was staring at my sisters that night after the game, and uh, like again, it started well enough that game, like from uh, Hartson, like a bullet header at the back post in at the second half, and all going well. Um, but they come back winning extra time. If someone, someone tells me Craig Beatty missed a sitter, a player I could never ever take to in a Celtic shirt, but. I just I remember after that game, I thought, right, I'll dart away, just final whistle when I darted away, like, thought I'd be, like, outsmart the, like, the other mob and, like, uh, like, darted, like, basically sprinted down to, to Govan, uh, underground station. So I got there and think this is brilliant. I've, well, nothing was brilliant after getting beat to them, but I thought this is ideal just to, to get a sharp exit. Um and got to the platform, need to on the platform, thinking brilliant. The train comes in from, obviously it's coming for Ibrox and you could not move on it. Full of them bouncing about, singing, and so I was on, and they must have known, but it was that crammed, I don't think, like, uh, so they could really get eye contact, it was so busy, but just, uh, like, it's just when you see them like that firsthand, and they're in Neanderthal ways, and... That, uh, what is it normally, Governor to Partick, about a three-minute underground in that subway, three-minute journey. It felt like Glasgow to Penzance that night. Um, but aye, so we went on and uh, we lost no long after that, again at Ibrox 2-0. So I think it was basically an up and tuck and, uh, after New Year and I remember... We beat them obviously in the Scottish Cup at Celtic Park with Sutton, Sutton's winner. No, in fact, no, sorry, Hartson. It was uh, 2 0 Rickson get one by. Aye, that's right. Aye, so we put them out of the Cup, uh, Scottish Cup. So as we did back then, Paul, uh, we didn't meet up that too much uh, due to, like, obviously, you had the way in then and stuff. and Compared to our old days, obviously, geographically, people might know that you were obviously through in Brahmin here, so uh, our friendship kind of stood the test of time, uh, even though the, the distance, but, but it's our only chances to, to meet up or like weekends away or wee trips away, so we always had a wee one in the offing and they were usually quite quite good wee trips away. We, we joked it was like Max and Paddy on tour and they generally were, like, uh, you couldn't probably put doing in this like put some of the things that happened but I uh, so we decided we were going down to the Master Snooker uh, it was at the old Wembley Conference Centre this was in the February um, and we had planned a couple of days down in London uh, we stayed in we stayed actually out at Wembley uh, 
uh, Wembley Park, uh, Ibis Hotel, and uh, fantastic, fantastic couple of days uh, on the bevy and uh, like the game we went to actually see at the old Wembley Conference Centre was Jimmy White's last victory at the Wembley Conference Centre and it was uh, a fantastic fantastic occasion to be fair but I, I digress there but uh, the season again um, there was nothing like obviously Bellamy came in in the, the January window um, a massive signing for us again you just thought that would see us over the line but then we lost so I came back for this that was what I was getting on to yes been doing to London that weekend. In fact, no, it was a Thursday night we been doing. We stayed the Thursday night, the Friday night. Uh, had a session on the Saturday and then come home on the Saturday and we were playing Rangers at Celtic Park on the Sunday. Uh, so we dusted ourselves down and I think Paul was at the match. I didn't even go. I went up and watched it in a pub called Bar Bedrock in London Road, which was absolutely jumping, like flute band and... I rest it on a, on a rebel shop, but aye, it was good um, until the game. Uh, and I, I couldn't believe it. Like Gregory Vigno, I think Rab Douglas like sold a clanger, uh, and I mean, fucking Virat Novo get the second. And so then, like the momentum was maybe changing a wee bit, but we, we dug in, dug in, and I remember going to Highbrooks. That was another game I was at. Uh, well, I've been on like these podcasts before, and like, I, I went up to these games without a ticket. And to be fair, I never failed to get one outside. And uh, again, did the same that day. Paul actually stayed at my bit, and um, the night before that game down in Ayr, we were up on a Sunday uh, to Ibrooks and Bank. Were we two points clear? I think two points clear going into the game. So it looked like I think this was the. Like during the split, so like if we won, it looked like that was it. So brilliant day, absolutely brilliant day. Petrov he did up. I think I actually backed Petrov for the first goal that day, so it was going swimmingly. And then of course that wonder goal, Bellamy just big Kiriakos outstripped him, uh, skinned him at the left flank and cut in and just like curled it in. Was it Waterus and Nets? Jesus. And then he got booked for, for scoring, basically for scoring a goal at the Colburn Road end. That was a fence for a yellow card. Uh, so I think it went back, but then we'd won and it was oh, the, the party in the broom on that day. It was just immense. We did the bouncy, they were going after heads and just absolute party. And like, I don't know if Celtic thought themselves the work was done because a couple of horrible slip-ups and the, the run-in then and uh, it was done to... The last game of the season then at Fir Park and like I was absolutely dying that day because the day before I had an impromptu session. It was the FA Cup final Arsenal Man United and ended up out all day. Uh, so it was, it was really rough on the Sunday, but I went up to my cools to watch it uh, up in Glasgow and it, uh, I wouldn't admit that to many of them, but a guy came round at half time selling Champions 2005 scarves and uh, Aye, it was all going, it was all going well, but just I was rough, and I was actually standing at an emergency exit. The pub was mob, and I was just standing to get fresh air because, like, I felt it was going to whitey. Uh, but uh, again, this score, and it just, it just epitomised like how I was feeling, how rough wise when uh, when mother likewise, and uh, then obviously not to get a winner. It was absolutely, absolutely horrific. It's the only word that would probably describe it, and. 
it was horrible, but it was like folk are sitting in the street, sitting in the pavement, heating their hands and stuff. And I remember coming out onto that scene and thought, right, nah, no way we're going to the city centre. Like, we're heading out, headed out to Gallagher, me and my pal. And you're kind of protected from it for that period. Like, you're out there still, it's an act of defiance. Like, pubs are still bouncing, everybody's still out, and the song's going, but you just knew. Like somewhere else is absolutely erupting and joy. Like the places, all the places we don't like are erupting and joy. Absolutely horrible. And uh, the fallout from it was that summer, wasn't it? It was just a horrible, uh, horrible time. But when Strachan came in, uh, the rest is history and we won the title back the following season. And it is, it's a, it's a horrible season to look back on, but always, that was the first thing when, when that lot got liquidated and ultimately died. Um, it was the first thing I thought of was, I don't know why, it was like Helicopter Sunday and thinking, aye, it was a horrific day, but if you'd said to me in Helicopter Sunday, look, you're going to get through this today, but in another seven years' time, the club, like across the, the city, you don't like very much, they are going to die. You would have, you would have taken it, you would have, you would have taken it. I would have absolutely taken it. Um, so aye, that's that's my memories of it, mate. And uh, aye, it's a it's a brave subject to get folk to to actually put their bit into because uh, no many people probably are very uh, <laughs> memories if like well, no good memories really. But uh, I think a lot of people try to erase that for time. But aye, that's that's my piece anyway, mate. Aye, so let me fill in a few <laughs> blanks on Jamie's tales there, and I thank him for his edited highlights of some of the trips, because <laughs> he's right, some of them couldn't go on. But when we went to the snooker uh, doing it at uh, Wembley, it was Jimmy, like, Jimmy White's last ever victory. Um, his father was also there, and he got a round of applause. We had bets on the score, if I remember rightly, it was the first one to six. And I think I had six two or something and so on. Um <clears throat> so we're kinda it was kinda going well, the betting type thing. And then all of a sudden Mark Williams, who Jimmy White was playing, he's having a word with the referee and we're like, What's going on here? And the next thing the table's getting a new kind of felt felt on it, you know. You're like the new bees. What the hell's going on here, like, Ken? But that's you know, as you find out later in life, that's what Williams was like, you know. So we're kind of raging about that, but I'm pretty sure at least one of us got the correct score up. So off we went to a pub called the Greyhound at Wembley. Um, right up, I don't know if it's still there, but it was right opposite a massive Catholic church it had a massive. Papal flag, and I can just remember looking at the papal flag, thinking, "If we're in here all night, we we we're going to be shimmying up that pole to try and get that flag." Like, it <laughs> just you know. So anyway, we were tanking into the Stella that night. It was really cold, uh, Bootsy Stella, and just boom, boom, pure beer monster mode. And we head back to the Ibis at shutting time. You know, London licensing laws. There's no pubs open. And um, the reception area was packed because there was a bar there. And um, so we were like, oh, great. So, of course, 
we get the drinks up and then, you know, one thing leads to another and the singing starts, eh? Um, and I used to, like, really sing a lot when I was drunk back then. Um, and Jamie too, for that matter. And I remember just at one point we were singing um, Downing Street by the Irish Brigade. And I just turned round and there was not a single person left in the bar. <laughs> Me, we'd emptied it, basically. Um, and then I remember distinctly walking up to the the lift in the hotel and a lady came out and we said in needed her way, you've lost that loving feeling. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would never in a million years do that now um, for various reasons, but it was just the way it was and it was all, these trips were always great um, with Jamie because it, always strange things happened and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and it was always, Jamie had this knack of finding things um, sort of, you know, snooker tournaments, darts, or whatever. Ken, just, I mean, we went to Crucible a couple of times, things like that, you know. So, aye, it was a brilliant trip, but unfortunately, he's right. We had a scoop in London on the Saturday, got the train home, and then we got beat by the Huns on the Sunday. Hi Paul, Naz here with my thoughts and memories of season 2004-2005. For me this is a season of disappointments and uh, not just talking about the obvious disappointment of the, how the season ended and badly at that with the two goals by Scott McDonald. Long before uh, Martin O'Neill's final season came to an end, I'd uh, been told uh, in the no story uh, by someone at work. Now this is a uh, pre-Celtic centred media and internet and um, that story was uh, that uh, Martin would be leaving at the end of uh, this season uh, to take care of his sick wife and that um, We Goddess Strachan has been sounded out by Dermot Desmond at the races of all places. Now, prior to that, the only other in-the-know story I'd ever been told was the half-time bust-up at the Inverness game at Celtic Park when Barnes was manager, when we got knocked out. So I was uh, kind of hoping that this one would be untrue. But unfortunately, as we found out uh, towards the end of the season, that uh, Martin would be leaving. Disappointments uh, galore with uh, the signing of Bellamy. Now, not the fact that we signed him because he added the firepower that we needed and he was a definite blue chip signing. But what felt like right from the off, told that we wouldn't be able to afford him or keep him at the end of this loan and it just seemed to be negativity around what should have been a great six months talk about a buzzkill disappointments in the cup final um, whatever the reasons and there's probably plenty probably not help with uh, Martin O'Neill officially announcing that a few days before that he was uh, going to be leaving and what was a as I remember a rather turgid game was won by a befitting scrappy goal scored by Alan Thompson. Talking about disappointments, I suppose we should rewind a few days to that fateful day in Motherwell. With destiny in our own hands and two minutes to go, winning 1-0 to be crowned champions again, all for it to fall apart. Now my recollection of this was that the equaliser was long before the last two minutes, but uh, I'll take the Celtic Wiki at its brilliant best uh, 
that that was uh, indeed uh, a harrowing last two minutes, as I've no desire to remember or recall or even view those goals again for myself. And uh, as a final thought, uh, the game was played on the 22nd of May, a couple of days before my birthday, and I was actually due to go out uh, after this game as part of my birthday weekend. As you can imagine, I wasn't exactly in the mood to celebrate. Now, I had been watching this game in Yorker with my friends, and uh, for whatever the reason was, I had arranged for a taxi ride back to the south side. And what was adding insult to injury, the driver decided to take me past Ibrox, where there was a small crowd waiting for the EBT-funded team to return. Must have been a current one, because I certainly don't remember saying more than two words to him in the taxi ride. My thoughts for 2004-2005. There was no flick on from Chris Sutton, who were Rangers defending, allowed the Welshman to seal the Parkhead club's place in the next round of the Cup to the delight of the Celtic manager. His record against uh, Rangers and uh, obviously very, very good. He always, he always feels he'll score a goal anyway in a, in a game, but uh, particularly against Rangers, he always thinks he's, uh, he'll, he'll manage one. And I'm delighted he did. While the Celtic boss praised Hartson, the Rangers manager bemoaned two costly slip-ups from his team. He pointed the finger at his defence for the winning goal and also for Celtic's opener as Sutton scored after 36 minutes. Two sloppy goals. You know, Celtic's defenders uh, probably, you know, they had to work hard to keep us out. But we, we've been really soft in the goals. McLeish, though, had no complaints when Rangers levelled things almost as soon as the second half was underway. Fernando Rickson got them back into the match and he felt good after the equaliser. It gave the team a boost as well and I think at that stage uh, everybody felt that we could, uh, could get, uh, get a result and, take the, uh, and uh, win the game here and not even take, them to, uh, take it to Ibrook but uh, also finish it off here. Hartson, though, had other ideas, and although Thomas Buffel was after a debut to remember, it's Celtic who march on in the Cup. It's very important. You know, like a player you want to win uh, alone. It's Rangers, Chris Sutton sliding the ball past Claus. 1-0 to Celtic. Rangers emerged from the half-time break rejuvenated, and Fernando Rickson's glancing header got them back on level terms. John Hartson drifted in at the far post to score what proved to be the winner. Martin Neil Sainer, odds on favourites to retain the cup. Last year's beaten finalist done. Hi, Paul. So, the first part of the backhoe. Probably a good time to be thinking about this because it, it was an example of never ever get complacent watching Celtic. Never ever think you're going to win a game. But They'll be sure how you're going to actually win it. The night before the first part of the backhoe, I'd been at a wedding. And I think every day, most of Celtic supporters I was in the company with at the wedding were of the firm opinion, we just need to turn up the water. And that really, that's the type of thing that, that stuck in your throat the next day when we didn't win it. Was that whole... Well, we this is yours. This a formality tomorrow. The other main memory, a day of the, the, the game itself, is not really a day with me, but that my pal who has a bit of an addiction to going to games. He 
couldn't get a ticket as most sites, a lot of sites supporters were in that situation that day. And we live in Motherwell. So my mate came to my flat about an hour or so before, the, a couple of hours before the game. And he had a ticket for the David Cooper stand, which is obviously their season ticket holder's end. And they thought he'd been seen in that end, wasn't he sitting comfortable with him? So he'd asked me if there was anything I had that was maybe even blue or whatever to help him go incognito. So I remember him coming to the house and I gave him a blue Nike ski hat that he could go and wear so that he was blending in. He still talks about that day. He still talks about if Motherwell were ever going to get relegated, which is a possibility this season that he would run a bus and go and find all the Algins in the stand that were trying to cuddle him when Scott McDonald scored and all the rest of it. It was that bad a day. And it shouldn't have happened. The cheating was the cheating. We know, that, we know how bad it was and that we shouldn't have had to deal with it. And it's just part and parcel of being selling supporters in this country that we have to put up with it. We shouldn't have to put up with it, as you've proven on many occasions, but it's... I can't even find the words to, to say why we should put up with it, but we do. But that, that game itself should never have been allowed to run away from us. And if it, if it was... I seen that Martin O'Neill's time was up, well, so be it. It was maybe good for the club as well, in a way that we moved on to the next manager which was, would have happened eventually at some point. And although he had a horrendous first result, we, we had a great first season under him, great few seasons until his start burnt out as well. But again, this is all part of the domination and, and the domination era that we should still be part of at the moment. And just brought that back to us. Fur Park, thank you. It is quite ironic talking about team strengthening and players and replacing Henrik Larsson and all that kind of stuff when at the time we were up against systematic and industrial cheating uh, by Rangers. And as I documented in the asterisk years, I still think that um, the inexhaustible overdraft at the Bank of Scotland was the main and should be the main focus of the cheating because that's what enabled them to have cash purchases ready. Um, but the EBT scheme, um, which was essentially illegally registering every single player and employee and right up to the chairman and so on, um, was basically complete in season 0405. Every player was on an EBT. Every player had a site contract. So every player was illegally registered. Now, I had conversations with players, you know, as this started to emerge in 11, 12. I had conversations with players who said, well, you can't blame the players. I said, why? And an example of which was given was Neil McCann. Neil McCann's wages 
went from £2,000 a week at Hearts to £15,000 a week at Rangers. Now, bear in mind this was early noughties when he signed for Rangers. Eh, big pardon, late 90s. He signed for Rangers. You know, did he really honestly think that he was worth that much? You know? Uh, as I pointed out in the asterisk years, that Stefan Kloss was the highest paid player on the planet in 2002. Again, is he really thinking, yeah, I'm worth this, you know? Or, or should we delude ourselves to believe that, you know, Ronald De Boer and Frank De Boer, all they ever wanted to do was play for Rangers? That's why they were there. It was nothing to do with the extraordinary amount, say, illegal money that they were getting every week in their salary. You know, th this was absolutely incredible. And of course, my focus, and obviously the focus of the majority of people listening on this is how it affected Celtic. But I never understood why the t the fans of teams like Dundee and Falkirk and Queen of the South were not up in arms because they lost trophies to Rangers teams that should never have been on the pitch, you know? And that this is um, partly a whole aspect of financial doping. And the reasons for it are very simple. Now, let's look back, right? The first DBT that Rangers issued was for Paul Gascoigne in July 1995. That's how they got him over the several Premier League clubs Um that we're wanting them. Now, we can all delude ourselves and think players play for the jersey and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's utter nonsense. You know, they go for the biggest money. It is that simple. Um, so, of course, but the investigation, when it came around, only started in 98 because that's when the SPL formed. I mean, just, again, utter nonsense. And then, as, as mentioned elsewhere in this podcast, you know, when the SFA were put up with Sandy Bryson, said, well, there wasn't any rules against it. So, you know, we're not making there, but I mean, this was just incredible. But the reasons were, you know, so it wasn't enough for David Murray to have the inexhaustible lab overdraft with the Bank of Scotland. They needed a bigger edge because once Fergus McCann mobilised Celtic and modernised Celtic and brought in financial heavyweights like Brian Quinn and Patrick Shee and, you know, Dermot Desmond and people like that. Murray knew there was an issue because he was running a, a dictatorship. Um, the only um, person remotely near with any kind of money was Dave King and, you know, we all know that was all a wee bit um, dubious given that he was called a glib and shameless liar by uh, a South African judge another thing the media swept under the carpet and Dave King laundered £20 million pounds, um, through Rangers I've got no qualms about saying that at all and let me tell you also because I know this for an absolute fact the only reason he got involved with Safeco was because he tried to get that twenty million back. That's why he has why he getting twenty million pound back for Dave Murray. He thought he never got, it, of course, because Murray's skint. Um, so there had to be another edge, and the EBT scheme was the other edge. Um, and when things started to unfold again, was one of the things um, that came about was that Craig Moore, 
Australian player got a bill for HMRC for his time at Rangers and he was like, what the fuck is this? Um, thinking that they were paying the tax, you know, because that's what happens. Clubs pay the tax on players' wages, you know, at this level. Um, so when you see, you know, somebody say, oh, Rooney's on 350 grand a week at Man United. Well, he would be on that. They would be paying the tax. So he was kind of baffled by it and that's when it started to unfold. Uh, the scheme, and so, you know, the bottom line is, given the people involved as well, I mean, Campbell, Logovay, and, and all these kind of people, what should have happened was that every match that was played by Rangers, whilst having EBT players, should have been null and void. Right? End of story. They should have been, had got a 3-0 defeat for every game and everybody should have been awarded um, the results and alright, so you know I've had a laugh in the past and saying this is what it really should have looked like and showed all the trophies that Celtic would have won on other clubs but the bottom line is the trophies should have been stripped that's what should have happened you know, not necessarily awarding them to other people but they should have been stripped absolutely, what other consequence was there because what were the consequences of all this? Zero. They were given a £250,000 fine, which was never paid because they liquidated. So, these kind of things make their victories hollow. And as I said um, elsewhere on this podcast, this did contribute to their liquidation, their death. You know, I mean, they, they, they were liquidated in 2012. We had to go through the absolute nonsense and hilarity, people like Alan McCoy saying, so why did we have to go do the divisions? Because you died, because you formed a new co, because you had to reapply for the league and so on and so on and so on. So it does make things seem incredibly hollow in hindsight. When we look back now, the other aspect of it is that um, I have to pick up is that uh, somebody mentioned that, that this was our Albert Kid day for Park that season. It wasn't, and I'll tell you why. When Hearts lost the league in nineteen eighty six, they hadn't won it for you know twenty odd year, and they've not won it since. When we lost the league at Fir Park, we won the league the year before. And we won the league the year after. That's the difference. However, it doesn't mean we have to um, talk about uh, it being okay because it wasn't. And you'll, I'll come on to that later. So, like 2004, 2005. I remember that year they rushed a strip out. I think they, they started pre season wearing what would be the Seville strip. And then they rushed this strip out just before the league started. It was Umbro's last season with the club. Usually they were they were two season strips at the time, but we know but now it's now it's a new strip every year. But Umbro knew that the deal was coming to the end, so this was their last chance for a big cash grab. So they rushed this strip out just before the season started. Looking back, it's quite a nice strip with a collar in that there. But that was the last in the season strip. The Celtic team itself was a team past its peak. The year before was the real peak for the Celtic team. The year after Seville, 
Henrik's last season. Celtic would have went deep into the Champions League that year if it hadn't been for, I suppose, Magnus Hedman. Dropped a few, dropped a clanger away in Bayern Munich and then Bobo Body stuck his hand up for no reason in the last game away to Leon. If Celtic had to stay in the Champions League that year, they could have, they probably would have done things. They were up against a, a Rangers team who I think I think they knew what was coming on the horizon for them. The, the financial difficulties they had, the, the, the ways they were masking these financial difficulties. You know, similar to a cyclist taking drugs for an unfair advantage. Or a weightlifter just up his eyeballs and steroids to gain an unfair, an artificial advantage. Rangers Roll Cool were just up the eyeballs on EBTs that season. Henrik Larson obviously went to Barcelona that summer before Henrik was replaced by two players effectively. He was replaced by 2002 World Cup winner Jorginho and also 2002 World Cup Senegal striker Henri Camarck men alone. I was over Jorginho's debut, one of the best debuts he ever seen. Wore the number seven shirt, playing against Rangers Oko. Thompson scored the winner. Jorginho really pulled the strings all day that day. You'd think he was a new Maracic looking at him. I remember one point he broke forward in the box, leaving two Huns trailing in his wake. He was just about to pull the trigger whenever 2002 World Cup Senegalese striker Henri Kamara loaded in, pushed him out of the way and blasted the ball wide. I'm trying to remember other games that I was at that season. I was a second year apprentice at a large manufacturing factory, about 5,000 employees. And if you asked every employee who the Scottish team was at the time, they would have said Rangers. I was my second or third week in the factory. And I had to go and ask my, my lead hand for two days off because it was going to the Champions League home game against Barcelona. Set my stall out early. That Barcelona match was a, a terrible experience for everybody involved. Wasn't Henrik Larson score against Celtic? Nobody enjoyed that. The team needed the spark round about, round about the January transfer window time. Well, luckily for Celtic, Craig Bellamy fell out with Graham Souness at Newcastle. I wonder how anybody could fall out with Graham Souness. So Craig Bellman was brought in on loan. At the time, there was restrictions on the amount of loan players you can have. So Celtic had to send World Cup 2002 Senegalese superstar striker Henri Kamara back to his parent club to make room in the squad for Craig Bellamy. There was a Bellamy bounce. For the rest of the season, he scored an impressive hat-trick at Tanadice. He scored a goal against Ibrox. He scored a goal at Ibrox. Another game I was at that year was the Scottish Cup semi-final, not long after not long after the death of JP2. The most noise the Heart supporters made that day was booing the man of silence for the recently deceased Pope. I don't know really stuck with me remembering that there. It was, that was just raw sectarianism, so it was. But to be fair, everything they've said so far is just waffle, just trying to put off talking about the last league game of the season. I can remember Chick Young on the radio before the game saying that Martin O'Neill would be stepping down at the end of the season and Gordon Strachan would be taking over. That was the first letdown of the day, so it was. The game itself should have been out of, out of sight in the first half. But if you don't take your chances, you sometimes suffer the consequences. Then came the two hammer blows. Scott McDonald shooting high in the net, running away with that Motherwell shirt with a Zoom sponsor on it. Dance about like we prick. That wasn't very nice to watch. As well as seeing like a fucking natural no dancing about, fucking celebrating. And then Marvin Andrews telling everybody that God did it for, for Rangers. God made all this happen.
had to go and play a hurling match that night at six o'clock. Just wasn't the right frame of, frame of mind at all to go and play a match. I was 17 years old, a fully grown man, swinging a stick round at me. Just wondering what happened, just trying to process what happened a couple of hours previously. I don't think I played very well that night. Well, at least I had an excuse that, like, that night. It doesn't explain why I didn't play well for the succeeding 17 years. I remember going on the tech the next day and work, because at the time, set apprentices, you do four days in the factory. And one, one day at tech, and all these wee comes from the shank, oh, mate, we got McDonald's last night because Scott McDonald's scored against Celtic. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely hilarious, so it is. Then all the other huns in the class, I went to McDonald's at lunchtime, just because it was also hilarious to go to McDonald's because Scott McDonald's scored. Pricks. I remember I went to the... Scottish Cup final was a week later. I was over the next day at Jackie McNamara's testimonial. I had a real, a real end of the year feel to it. You know, you're, you're sitting there at Celtic Park, you're known, you're watching most of these players play. Martin and Lee's last managing game. And all these little like your Lamberts and all them boys, you knew this would be the last time you'd see them people playing. Edited them in the year. It's sad, it's sad the way the, the Neil years finished, but sure, we enjoyed them when they lasted. A player that's been mentioned uh, numerous times on his podcast is Craig Bellamy. And um, yeah, he did miss quite a few chances at Fur Park that day, but he also put us in the position to be at Fur Park that day, uh, trying to win the league. Because without him, you know, we wouldn't have been anywhere near it. Um, he scored a brilliant hat trick at uh, Tanadice. He scored up at uh, Murnay. Scored at Easter Road. Crucial games, crucial goals, um, and of course none more so than at Ibrox, where somebody had actually taken a banner that day saying "Welcome to the Craig Bellamy Show" and what a show it was. Although unfortunately he did go off injured. And it was made all the more important that game by the fact that we'd lost to Hearts in the previous league game. Now, um, that was a bizarre time in my life because I actually organised a dance at Celtic Park for fans, basically internet fans, Global Hoops as we called it, um, the night that we got beat off the Hearts at Celtic Park. So we had like 350 people um in the uh, number seven restaurant and um, under the cloud of, you know, losing to hearts. We had John Kennedy and Sean Maloney there. Um, John Kennedy was still injured, obviously, and Sean Maloney had played in the game that day. And both were pretty downbeat. And I remember saying, about, you know, oh, I just need to win at Ibrox. And they were kind of like, I need bother, you know. But we did anyway, so... But anyway, so... As this was kind of going on and the meal's getting laid out or something, a guy that was at our table just went and handed me his phone. And I was kind of like, what the fuck are you handing me a phone for? And looked at it and it had Pope John Paul had passed away. So like, oh no. So it was average Joe Muller who was doing the MC that night. And I thought, Christ, we need to acknowledge this, like, eh? So if you've ever seen. The footage of John Lennon apologising for when he said the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. Um, have a look at it, because this is what this moment was like. John Lennon's t- saying he's, he's apologising for it and explaining it and stuff. And Paul McCartney said that all the time I'm just sitting there thinking, please don't do a joke, please don't do a joke. 
where did he kick him if he does? Well, I was a wee bit the same with Joe Miller uh, that night because he, he basically went up and he says, you know, um, I'll have to just tell you that the Pope has died. And he left that comedic time and pause to be like, I thought, oh, please didn't say anything. And he never, thank God. Um, but it was really strange. Um, exacerbated by the fact that we then played Hearts the following week at Hamden. And there was a minute silence for the Pope that was booed by quite a few of the Hearts end that day. And the we won the game at the semi-final to get to the cup final, which is important for the last part of the story. But the interview that John Robertson gave that day where he pretty much excused the Hertz fans for booing the minute silence, apparently is what cost him his job with Vladimir Romanov who was appalled that he didn't just come out and condemn it straight away kind of thing. Um, but that's it. That's the kind of backdrop that we always live in in Scotland, that, you know, deep down there's just going to be this, you know, hatred um, and, and, and kind of disrespect to anything like that. And therefore, that's why it's important to have games like going to Ibrox and winning. And it's been mentioned before, Petrov, Heder, goal, booked. Bellamy, great shot, goal, booked. For what? What what were they booked for, you know? Um, the backdrop as well, Craig Bellamy, was that at the time it was uh, leading up to the Jackie McNamara testimonial, which we'll talk about in the last part. And... There was a bit of a do in Letter Kenny and um Bellamy was there and they were watching the Manchester United Newcastle semi final, which is at the Millennium Stadium. I actually was at the game, believe it or not. And uh Man United won four one that day. And Bellamy um was basically sending texts to Shearer saying, You're finished, you're fat, you're this, you're that and so on, and uh, he had Shearer's number, but had a new phone, so he was like, um, he don't even know it's me, ha 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 ha, to which Donnie McNamara said to him, you know, but you'll be able to find out, and, you know, because of the number, and Bellamy said, oh really, and just chucked the phone right across the bar, you know, all a bit bizarre, but then again, so was really Craig Bellamy. The layoff finds Thompson. Hartson calls for the ball, the corner of the box. Wins it well. Petrov couldn't get over the ball. Strong defending by Vignal, but Celtic keep coming forward. A gat. That's a great header! Wonderful goal by Petrov for Celtic. What a goal that is. Too much time left with a gat on the ball there. Poor, poor defending, but water. Exquisite header that was. Well, let's check what happened here. There's the problem for Petrov. Struck by a missile from the stand. Vignal and Rickson over the ball. Normally Rickson would strike this. He could even attempt to call it goal from this angle. It's not the chance though. There's the header from Kiriakos. What a chance that turned out to be for Rangers. Tackled well by Lennon. This is Thompson. Excellent slide of foot there by Alan Thompson. That's the kind of pass Celtic want to release Bellamy. 
Sloan getting support there. Bellamy's on his own. That's oh, a wonderful goal by Bellamy. Celtic are two ahead. What a fantastic strike. That sums his first half off at the moment. Gets into that position. Loves to get the ball in, get the ball down. Super running from in his own half. Can't be offside. Drags out there. All he's wanted to do is get the ball onto his good right foot. Bang. 2-0. I have a very odd relationship with the 2004-05 season. Obviously, 2003-04 was great. So much I wrote a book about it. But... This one came up and obviously the first thing that comes to mind is Larson's away. So we've lost God, effectively, after seven years. Uh, and we bring in Henri Kamara to replace him. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> he was all right. He wasn't great. He was never going to... Whoever came in for Larson was never going to fill his boots, but kind of felt like Henri Kamara wasn't good enough especially given that by the time the January transfer window came round, we got Craig Bellamy in, and Craig Bellamy made a big difference, and he really was the kind of player that we needed to fill that gap. But the other weird signing I thought we made that summer was Janinho. Now, Janinho was a great player. I thought he was a, 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 in a decent formation. He might well have worked at Celtic. Uh, he played great at Middlesbrough. You'd have thought he would have been good at Celtic, but he never fit Martin Neal's formation um, even when we play 3-5-2 on the Martin O'Neill like Lubin Maravchik never quite fit in he kind of got in every so often but by the end of the 1-0-2 season Lubin was kind of not used all that much I know Lubin was getting on in years but it's it just never quite fit that mould and when we switched to 4 2 it never really worked at all so I honestly have no idea why we signed Janino to this day uh, it is funny though because the story goes on that when Junior was getting paid off, we used an EBT to pay him off. Now, EBTs are fine to a point, as long as you're not giving side letters out and calling them contracts. And ultimately, even we went, nah, maybe we should pay the tax on it, and did. So we never had any problems with EBTs, of course, because they're a wee bit dodgy. It's maybe something in that in the 2004-05 season across the city. Uh, but more or less, uh, 0405 is that odd quirk in my history in that I got to every competitive game and it's the only season I ever managed to do that. Um, it's not easy to do, especially when there's so many European away games and stuff like that. But we, we were fortunate in the Champions League 304 qualified straight into the group stages of the Champions League. So... We only played six games in Europe this season, which I say only. Sometimes we never played that many in the, the past. But in 04 05, it was three home, three away in the group stage. And then because we got such a tough group stage, it didn't help. Uh, we got Barcelona, Milan, and Shakhtar Donetsk. Now, um, the first of those was a Milan game uh, away from home. And that came after we'd played at Barcelona. And of course, we were getting Barcelona because that's where Larson had went. So he got a very quick return. And for an hour, we played great against Barcelona again. We'd obviously knocked him out of the UEFA Cup the previous season. But yeah, this was a this was Barcelona six months further on in their rebuild. Uh, and they had a certain talisman in the team. Having said that, for that hour, 
would went a goal behind Sutton with that fantastic finish that goal doesn't get talked about enough that one he fires into the top corner is unstoppable and the build up play to it is fantastic but we don't talk about it enough because of what happened next because they brought Larson off the bench and Henrik spent the next couple of minutes picking out which of the weakest points of our defence he could exploit picked out Stan Varga and then set up Julie for the second goal. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, how many times did Alan Thompson supply Henry Larson with a great ball and for him to get a goal? This time wasn't so great from Tomo because he was taking it back to the keeper uh, and Larson read it like a book. It was a bad feeling that night when he did that because I wouldn't have expected Henrik to do anything other than score against us if the opportunity came up and it did and so he did and there was that whole atmosphere around as if like some people booed him but I always got the feeling it was one of those you're not our player anymore it wasn't it wasn't a hated kind of boo if that makes sense it was more of a case of like if the guys if somebody was booing and applauding at the same time it wouldn't surprise me in the least um, because you don't want to see somebody score against us. But that's Henrik. Uh, so I, I don't think there was any malice from anybody in that, to be honest. So that was the first game of the Champions League. And then the second one was a trip to Milan. Um, I, I enjoyed my trip there. Uh, first time, and the only time I've been to Italy. Uh, obviously an iconic stadium in the San Siro, which... I, thought was okay. I don't think it was anything great shakes, to be honest. Still better than Newcamp camera enough. Um, and it was kind of a similar story in that Milan took the lead. We got themselves back into the game. Stan Vargas' header was behind the goal for that. Never forget the bedroom and that. Absolutely lovely uh, moment. And then, just as we thought we might get something at the game, there was a sucker punch at the end with two quick goals and we lost 3-1. So that was disappointing and then a month later it was off to the next, which is, is very bittersweet these days because um, the was like the east of Ukraine was never somewhere I was going to go in my life for any reason I can think of other than football. And I'm glad I went because I thought it was like a completely different world um, going that far east and... The people were kind of curious about this. Um, there was an Irish pub, which always... So it doesn't matter where you go in the world, there's always an Irish pub. Um, and my memory of that Irish pub is, one, Dermot Desmond arrived at some point. I've got a picture of him somewhere in the pub. And two, me and my dad got drunk and it cost us a fiver. And £4.50 of that was the Coke mixer to go with the vodka. So that was amazing. Um, I sobered up pretty much after that because I went to the game uh, not a great game at all um, we were not at the races lost 3-0 uh, so we played the first three games of the tournament and with no points whatsoever but we kind of turned it around after that because I mean we beat Shakhtar in the home game we then went to Barcelona and I went back to Barcelona again. This was the second time in 2004 I'd been there. I'd been there for the UEFA Cup game. Uh, and we got another draw. I am undefeated in the new camp, which is a kind of count of fame. Um, yeah, I was... Again, we were 
we really needed to pick up wins at that point and we weren't doing it and a draw in the new camp at any other time was a great result um, it kind of felt like we still had a chance at that point we'd have to beat Milan at home in the last game which we obviously never did uh, but celebrating that John Hartson goal uh, the equaliser it was a good one there was still people suggest it was offside I think it's offside if Varga flicks it on I don't think Varga does flick it on so he's not offside that's my opinion on it I don't know never been too clear as to whether or not it is or not certainly the goal stood um, so yeah that was an exciting moment so <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me all the European games I've been uh, I've seen Celtic lose apart from the new camp where I've been twice I've moved around twice so that's not bad um, so yeah the, the Milan game was a bit of a disappointing kind of anti-climax to it five points finished bottom of the group out of Europe um, and meanwhile and like, domestically it was a kind of same old, same old. I mean, we'd lost Henrik, but it wasn't really affecting the results too much. We started off uh, early in the campaign, we beat Rangers for the seventh time in a row. Uh, I don't think that's... That'd ever been done previously. Um, but yeah, the Alan Thompson screamer for the 10 minutes to go. A fantastic goal. Uh, and then they finally managed to beat us. Um, and even then, it was an odd game because it was in the League Cup at Ibrox. And it was, it was a game I was at. And we were leading 1-0, but there wasn't long to go, and the Rangers equalised and won it in extra time. And that was my first experience of losing at Ibrox. Um, and then, unfortunately, it happened a few days later as well. Uh, they beat us 2-0 in the league as well. So that, kinda, that was the kind of starting signs of things weren't quite great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the, the other weird one in, in the kind of early months of that season was Aberdeen beat us again. And it was weirdly the same as they beat us in the, the previous season. So Aberdeen were the team that ended our run of 77 games unbeaten at Celtic Park in all competitions. Uh, and, and they'd done it with a last-minute winner uh, and after the league was won in, in 2003-04 season. But then it kind of happened again in this game. It was like they took the lead, like went 2-0 up early on in the game. We caught it back to two each. We're chasing the winner, only for it was to lose a, a last-minute uh, the goal would lose two three two, um, and then like Rangers beat us at Celtic Park, and I think Hearts beat us at Celtic Park as well. It kind of fit all the whole Fortress Park head thing kind of fell away at this point. Um, but the most unfortunate part of this campaign came later on. So like we got to the split. First game is Ibrox. We win two one. We. Stan Petrov scoring and getting a cup of coke flung in his face for his trouble and getting booked for it as well. Uh, and then Craig Bellman gets his second goal, slides into the corner and prays. I don't know, he got booked for that as well. Apparently doing absolutely nothing gets you booked. Uh, just having the audacity to score at Ibrox, I think, gets you booked. Rangers got to go back, but we won the game 2-1. Um and that put us five points clear before games to go. So, everybody in the stadium that day knew the league was done. Celtic were champions. We were singing it. Rangers were skulking away home again. Everybody knew. The problem came the following week when we let them back in. Because we played Hibs at home. Um, and we were completely outthought in that game by Tony Mowbray. That... That game stuck in my head so much that when he became Rangers, uh, became Celtic manager, sorry, 
a few years later, I thought it was a great signing because of the tactical knowledge in that game alone. Because they took the lead, we equalised, they made some subs in 1-3-1. That seems to be a common theme in this, this season because it also happened with Barcelona and Milan. But Hibs done it as well. And that let Rangers back in. The five points became two points and they started to believe again. They just had to keep winning and keep winning and keep winning. Uh, and the other problem we had was Craig Bellamy had got off injured at Ibrox. Now, he'd been, like what I said, had been a great signing. And like, there was a game at Tanadice where he got a hat-trick, which won as a game, 3-2, I think. Uh, but losing him in those last few games, we thought we were getting away with it. Uh, and then because we kind of scraped through the next couple of games but got the wins I mean there was the, the, the penultimate win uh, the penultimate game was the win at Tynecastle um, and I remember that game coming out still top of the league absolutely delighted still had far part to go to uh, and that was actually my last visit to Tynecastle because afterwards I remember going through the well, following the crowd out of Tynecastle Celtic fans everywhere are all going in one direction and there's one policeman coming the opposite direction through the middle of the Celtic fans barging people out of the road showing, like, you could tell which team he supported because he was raging and I happened to mutter under my breath somebody's in a hurry and he grabbed me by the back of the neck going, you are arrested, son! And me being my meekest self went, no, don't know what else to say to and he threw me back and I went, on your way! Well, I've never been to Tynecastle since because of all the places I've ever been whether it's Scotland or abroad the biggest problem I've ever had is that bloody policeman Lothian Borders and police yeah. what can you do about them <laughs> and then of course we get to Fur Park um, win a game we win the league simple and we get the lead and we try and try to get a second goal I remember Craig Bellamy being back for that game and he wasn't quite firing on all cylinders. I think Sutton and Hartson both had decent chances to get the second goal and none of them could quite get a ball in the net. But you think we're still going to do enough and then you get Scott McDonald who scores not once but twice. Uh, I mean, the first one, I, I just sat there in shock um, at what was happening. Like, most of the fans around me were roaring at us to go and get that uh, goal to put us back in the lead again but I was just sitting there in shock because I didn't, th I didn't think we were going to do it because of what I'd seen earlier in the game and we knew Rangers were winning 1-0 at Easter Road at the time uh, so we knew we had to score because we weren't relying on Hibs getting anything and when the second went in the rest of the stand went into shock and I was the one that was raging because when this to me was we'd absolutely binned it. It wasn't bad enough that we'd lost one, but two, we're not going to lose the game. We've lost the league. I was frantically trying to find out if maybe Hibs had equalised. This was our Albert Kidd moment. To me, to this day, I still don't understand how Scott McDonald celebrated the way he did. Now, he, he had a good few seasons at Celtic after that. He had, well, he's got a great record for Celtic. And he grew up a Celtic fan. This is the thing that bugs me. There's pictures of him at Celtic Park getting pictures of like Cadet and Van Hoydonk and all that kind of, uh, those players in that era when he was a kid. How do you celebrate scoring those goals against Celtic like that? It just beggars belief. Now, I'm, I'm not good enough to play football professionally. I never have been. So I couldn't tell you exactly whether I'd even have the professionalism about me to score against Celtic. I'm not a Henry Larson. I'm neither Scott McDonald. I'm barely an Amy McDonald, to be honest. 
don't think I could score against Celtic. I certainly couldn't celebrate like that. It would kill me to score against Celtic. Never mind one, never mind two that ruined uh, a title. So I just, I don't get it. I understand them doing the job. I don't understand the celebration and I never will. And that led to what was probably the most bizarre cup final ever. Because this was 10 years on for Celtic winning their first trophy in six years. So, 1995 Scottish Cup final was a memorable game and the game was rotten. We won 1 0, but it mattered and it was such a great moment and pivotal in our history. And then this one, 10 years later, in 2005, comes around, we win that one, 1 0, and it's like, yeah, who cares? Honestly, the, the hangover from the previous week absolutely destroyed that. It was another terrible game. We won 1 0 with a kind of crappy deflected free kick or something. Uh, we missed a penalty in the game as well, um, which would have been it safe. We had a, I think United had a chance right at the end of the game as well. It was good to get the extra time, and I don't think I'd had any faith in his doing anything that uh, they got that goal. But it was just so, so flat. We knew Martin Lareal was leaving because obviously the issues with his wife's health. And But I don't think I'll ever see Celtic win a trophy and not care less than that day. And like the cup run was actually pretty decent. I mean, we beat Rangers in the third round at home. It was one of the few times we actually beat Rangers in this, tour, in this season. Uh, we thumped on Fairland. We thumped Clyde 5-0 at Broadwood, which obviously was a bigger issue the following season and just points out how more bizarre that was. Uh, we had Hearts at Hamden, which I think was the minute silence for the Pope. Alleged minute silence, because they certainly weren't silent about it. Uh, and we beat them 2-1. Uh, so we did a decent. We, we beat some decent teams in this run, um, and we got to the final and won the cup. And uh, who cares? So yeah, it's an absolutely bizarre season. Um, and I think the kind of the corollary to this story is that two thousand four or five is also the season I met my the woman who would become my wife, and uh, I'd later get separated and divorced from uh, the mother of my two children. Uh, I met her on a supporters bus going to the Kilmarnock game at the start of the season in the August when we won 4-2 uh, so it's, it's one of these bizarre uh, that's a pivotal moment that's a pivotal moment that's a pivotal moment thing in my life and yet it's a season most people would rather forget so it's probably one of the most bizarre seasons I think I'll ever have and it, I suppose the, the other add on to this goes back to the EBT point it's like the team that Rangers put out against Hibs that day every single one of them had an EBT every single one of them had a side contract every single one of them was incorrectly registered and every single one of them got away with that because of Sandy fucking Bryson and his defence of well we didn't know about it at the time so it wasn't really ineligible and the, the utter nonsense that came out of the Lord Nimmo Smith trial that everybody just went, oh, OK, fine enough. If, if you didn't know about the time and the SFA rules is this, then SPFL can't do SPL, SFL, SPL, whatever one it was at the time. Absolute bullshit that, that no point ever took into account the fact that the EBT scheme that the Rangers ran was also not legal because they kind of sidestepped that one as well. So this entire season should be... Well, 
It's one of the asterisks years. Let's face it, it should have an asterisk at it. And so to Fur Park. I'd met my mate Rab Tate um, in the car park in McDonald's at Christophan in Edinburgh to drive through to Fur Park. Can't remember the reason why I met there, but we did. And um, that's when, because I went to the Tesco and saw the papers uh, that morning, looked at them, and the Tesco saw that um, Anil was leaving on uh, the end of the season and Gordon Strachan was coming in, and I was pretty devastated. Um, Gordon Strachan comes from your house, where I come from in Edinburgh, and he w- I would describe him politely as an nippy sweetie. I've met him on numerous occasions, and you know, play pretty much like most people from Eurus, a bit of wido, and you know, say things that upset people, and so on and so on. But um, the focus was still on for Park. Um, we go through there relatively straightforward. It's, it's obviously a Sunday, um, and basically. There has been mention of this, and I think it's true that it did feel like all we had today was turning up that day. The hard yards had been run at Tyne Castle the week before when we'd been equalised against by Paul Hartley and then Craig Beatty had scored the winner, actually pushing Craig Bellamy out of the way to get it. And that felt like the, the title was secure then. Um, and this was kind of added to by the fact that... Um, Chris Sutton put us one now up and you're thinking, I ain't bother. And I believe it's no nil at Easter Road at half time. So, you know, no issue, you know. Uh, I was in the main stand at Fur Park that day, kind of towards the Davy Cooper stand. Um, and so, you know, not really thinking about anything in that. And then I remember somebody seeing the Huns had scored. It was actually Gary Caldwell a long goal. Never really liked him, to be honest. Um, but that's another story. But again, you're like, nah, any problem. But what was happening was that something was unfolding in front of our eyes. We couldn't get the second goal. Hartson missed chances. Bellamy missed chances. Sutton missed chances. Petrov missed a chance. And the players were starting to get tense. I distinctly remember, just in front of us, Petrov almost exploding at a gap for letting a ball go out of the park. You know, and it was kind of like, fuck me, man. We, just, we need encouragement here. We didn't need fucking retribution at this point. Um, and you're kind of sinking deeper and deeper, but you're still like, you know, there's only a couple of minutes to go and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, bang, it's one all. Just a complete state of shock. And what I always remember is we took kickoff and Chris Sutton tried to shoot for halfway line, basically. Um, but it's then led to them putting the ball up the pitch and scoring again. And that was it. Now, there's a couple of things about this that I've heard subsequently. The first one was when the second goal went in, Peter Lawwell uh, got up for the director's area at Fur Park and went into the director's, the boardroom, and two Motherwell directors were shaking a bottle of champagne. Um, back to that Scotland thing I mentioned previously and what we have to put up with you know in terms of our players I have heard that no way them are that bothered um, apparently Bobo Baldi was just sitting 
with his headphones on, you know, getting a beat. And John Hartson was organising a night out that night. Um, not the best. But the strangest thing I heard was I had a conversation with somebody who played with Motherwell that day. And I'll no name him because it's unfair. Um, he's not here to sort of tell it again. But um, let's just say he had a Celtic connection. And I'll never forget he said, the words he said to me. He says, the best it is, he said, half of us weren't even fucking trying. And that just sent a shiver down my spine. Now, this was certainly no the kind of industrial lie doing that we've seen at Ibrox two years previously with Jimmy Calderwood and that. But what he was basically saying was that, you know, a few of the Motherwell players were just going through the motions. And he said, it wasn't just a Celtic thing. He said, it was the fact that it's the last game of the season. You know, it's like you want to go on your holidays and you want to sort of, you know, ease out of it, kind of thing, not to play for, etc. So it just made it all the worse. You're thinking, for fuck's sake, we still couldn't win. And whilst this was going on, strange things were happening elsewhere in Scottish football, particularly Easter Road. Because it was then realised by sort of Hibs and Rangers that a 1-0 victory suited both of them. Hibs would still be in Europe and Rangers had done all they could to try and win the league. So they basically played out that 1-0 after the goal went in. Hmm. I also heard for a couple of hibbies that when Rangers left Easter Road that day, there were some hib supporters, not all, and certainly not the ones I would know, who applauded the bus coming out, the team, Hun's team bus, because Alec McLeish was the manager. Again, that's nobody I know, or if I did, I wouldn't fucking know them anymore. Um, but for us, me and Rab, it was just like he'd done out the ground, back to the car, away, not a word. Dropped me off at my house and I went to my bed. Actually, that's not quite true. I went on the computer first because I wanted to clear the emails before I basically went any hiding. And I'll never forget a guy, he's no longer worse, a guy called Tom Carruthers for Australia had sent me an email saying champions as a subject headline. He'd sent it at half-time, of course. And he'd wrote a message, ah, oh, we've won it now, blah, 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 right. And I went to my bed and I did not emerge until the Wednesday. And that's the God's honest truth. I did not emerge until the Wednesday because the reason I emerged on the Wednesday was for the press conference uh, that Martin Neal held where he basically officially announced that he would... Um, be leaving after the cup final. He apologised for the debacle at Fur Park and then that was on. And then I realised that part of the group that I was talking about previously that was at the dance, we had decided to have a bit of a cup final weekend because by now we knew there was a Jackie McNamara testimonial come out on a Sunday and there was a small matter of the cup final on Saturday. So we ended up staying two nights at the Watermill Hotel in Paisley. Uh, it was organised through Peter Rafferty in the, in the David Hay CSC. And it was a really good deal and all that, but it was just like, oh, this, I just, you know, this is the last fucking thing I need, but, you know, we'll go. And uh, 
it was alright, the cup final was a complete non-event, you know, I didn't even think I've ever watched the goal back of that game or any of the highlights or anything of what there was, I remember the goal and I remember us missing a penalty and I remember Dundee United almost equalising the last kick of the ball, but that's it, and then there was a Jackie McNamara testimonial, which, you know, I've no idea what the score was, because I was still numb, I felt, I felt a wee bit more kind of risen celtic if you like, uh, that day because of the people that were there and stuff and it's it's Ireland and it's Celtic and all that kind of thing but again, just numb, absolutely numb and the uh, Scott McDonald factor I know a lot of people say that they could never take to him and I'm, I'm one of them, like, you know uh, I actually met him to, to, to close the circle of the Jamie O'Neill trips uh, about eight months after this, it was the week after we won at Ibrox in 2006 when Magic Zarowski scored the winner. And again, going back to Jamie O'Neill's um, talent for finding these really um, good things to go to, there was a charity event at the Rolls Royce Club in East Kilbride that John Higgins was going to play at. And um, Joe Fancy gone, I said, hey, let's go. And it was basically... You know, pay money for charity, pay John Higgins, play John Higgins at snooker. And we turn up, and of course there's John, all right, John, blah, 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 blah. And then there's Stephen McManus is there, Stephen Pearson, uh, Scott McDonald and a couple of other, I think Stevie Hamill was one of the other Motherwell players. And the, the, honestly, the fucking look on me and Jamie's face when we see McDonald just standing there, it was like, we could just kill him now. And in fact, to be honest with you, I think the only reason we never really done anything or said anything was we had just won at Ibrox and we were on a high. But, um, so there he was. Um, and I, I'll never understand him, as uh, Chris mentioned. Like, you know, I believe I know for a fact, I was told um, when I went and visited Melbourne that he phoned the parents right after the game for Fifer Park and they wouldn't speak to him. You know, it was like, okay, what have you done? Okay, you're a professional, but what's the big celebrations about you? We're Celtic through and through, well, you know. Um, and it remains, um, along with the Rafe Rovers Cup final, um, my worst day in, in, in football. Um, so thanks for that, Scott. When I think back to that season that we lost the league and... Black Sunday at Fur Park, I'd been but 22 at the time and the whole season, it was one of the ones, wasn't it, when you just, you, you, you knew that if we pushed on and we went for it and everything else and got back together that the league was ours, but with Martin O'Neill gone at the end of the season, it was probably everything behind the scenes and going on and contributed to his more or less throwing it away that day and I don't care what you say to me, you'll never, ever, 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 necessarily fan in the right fucking mind, but I put that bond in it. And so Scott McDonald, even when he came to his after that, never could take to him because of it. And it's probably the culmination, wasn't it, after Seville, and with the fact, thinking, all right, that's us, we're there, let's just pull back now, didn't spend the money. And we didn't get what we should have done at the end of the season because of it. And I blame the board for it as well. We did have more players being there and done it. 
probably became a bit disheartened with the way the, the club was gone, starting to go downhill after Seville and what have you. But at the season that Sarah it was, it was, I was going to most of the games at that time. And like I say, I just, you just felt as if you're going to kick on at some point. And I mean, winning at Ibrox. The Bellamy, that, that, that should have done it for us, shouldn't it? There's no way we still host the league after that, but aye, fucking threw it away. And looking back on the whole events of that season, did it, even though there's almost 20 years between us now, it still doesn't make it any easier. But I think it's also important to reflect on these things as we grow and we learn from them, you know. Complacency was definitely a thing then. But also, let's not forget what we were up against, how they achieved the league title, and how really nothing was ever done about it.